Hey, how's it going, everybody? You're listening to another episode of the Supermercado Brothers Video Game Music Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. This is the podcast where we share and discuss the very best in video game music. My name is Carl Brueggemann. And I'm his brother, Will Brueggemann. We are fast approaching the end of our season, the end of really a kind of an entire era for this podcast. We yes. mentioned last week that uh, after episode 500, things are going to look a little different and Carl and I are really excited about that but you know before we finished out this last run of episodes we wanted to do just a classic a classic absolute spotlight. staple of a spotlight on uh, music from one of our favorite composers Absolutely. music from one of the great video game soundtracks of all time it is Landstalker, and surprisingly, we've never done this. This is composed by Motoaki Takenochi, who's one of my personal favorite video game composers. Some of you might know his work from the Shining series. Uh, he also did Shining Force 2 for the Genesis. This is another Genesis soundtrack that is outstanding, maybe slightly uh, lesser appreciated than Shining Force 2. Uh, some really wild, crazy music in this playlist, uh, just some classic stuff too. Will was saying one of the things he likes about this composer is it seems like he was kind of a transition between some of the older style video game composers and maybe what was to come a few years after a score like this. I also think he brought, and again, it's it's sort of nerdy talking in these video game specific terms, but he brought sort of an arcade sensibility to the Genesis, if that makes sense. Like, you know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. this music sounds like what you would have heard in an arcade game in the you know 80s and it's like bringing that sort of style to a genesis game which i mean the whole appeal of the 16-bit consoles was in what they were saying is like play arcade games you know at home and that, right. that was kind of one of the selling points of that 16-bit sound because people were accustomed to hearing those fm instruments and everything in arcade cabinets and i think mm -hmm. takanochi particularly on this soundtrack brings that in i think when we say arcade approach a few things come to my mind i think a slightly more sophisticated sense of harmony slightly more complicated forms yes uh melodies and phrases that have a spontaneity to them and often have longer sections uh sections that feel quasi improvisatory though again we know they didn't have midi controllers and they weren't performing in solos but often the music was made to really feel very exciting like, you know a proper piece of jazz exciting and music. bold yeah and and so takanochi is such an interesting composer because he really has a love of prog music and rock music as well as film music orchestral classical romantic music and so he combines all of that in a way that is so rare for the sega genesis we've talked about his music before but there's not a lot of music on this system that is this expressive uh and especially for like the rpg scores that can be this filmic and exciting. So really excited to dive into this. So the, the full title of this game is Landstalker, The Treasures of King Knoll, of course, composed by Takanochi. What you guys heard playing in was a tune called Let's Go On an Adventure. Let's do that. Um, yeah, really, ex really excited for this episode. What do you say, Will? Should we keep moving along? Let's do it. I just noticed something really interesting. Uh, 
Carl, did you notice Skype has completely redecorated for Christmas? All the little <laughs> icons and emojis are all like holiday themed. And the yes, whole folks, it I is hilarious, but different. we do still use Skype. <laughs> Sometimes know, we're we the use last Zoom. two people. Yeah. All right. Let's move on to the next track on our playlist. We can't play everything from the score. It's actually surprisingly big for a Genesis score. But we're going to move on to Premonition of Trouble from Landstalker. You guys are listening to Premonition of Trouble, and it gives you a sense of what to expect with Landstalker and really of the music, the 16-bit era music of Takenochi. It's just so incredibly bold and different from what is typically heard on the system. Um, I love how this music sounds. I mean, the instrument choices, the use of the FM and the PSG is so expressive and exciting and full and just imaginative like this is music that i don't really need to hear a remix of i don't need to i mean yes it would be great to hear this with an orchestra but the imagination just takes over and you kind of fill in the dots in your head it's just such great music this is this is a creepy one yeah these dissonances are uh really excellent tools to paint uh unsettling emotions and it's really useful particularly for the beginning of a game or Mm -hmm. some point in a game that's establishing story something outside of the player's control to establish whether it's a villain or a scary situation um or just some sort of conflict tension i mean that's really the 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 root of what drives all storytelling is tension and i think Music is, you know, it might it's sort of a cliche concept, but music is a form of storytelling. And tension is really one of the vehicles that drives musical interest. If all you ever had was consonants, you know, it, it would kind of like, it'd be like a play that's about nothing at all. Yeah. Um, and so by having these moments of tension, it, it adds conflict and interest to the music. And we have a lot of examples of that on the Super Nintendo, a lot of RPG scores. We just don't have as many of those examples on the Genesis. Right. And that's what's such a treat about a score like this. The other thing that I think holds this track together um, from a compositional point um, is the use of that pedal bass, that pedal point bass, where it's like as as dissonant and complex and seemingly unrelated as some of these chords and harmonies are, by keeping that common tone, it helps the listener to orient what they're hearing in context to something. And it does two things. First of all, it makes it feel very intentional because you hear constantly this tonal center that you're meant to relate all the pitches back to. But mm-hmm. also because of that, it ends up feeling more dissonant because all of these different chords clash with that tonic chord. So it's a it's a really simple, great technique. It happens all the time in film music. It happens you know, all Will the time in all kinds of music. was mentioning the contrast, and this is hilarious, going from Premonition of Trouble, which is one of the more creepy ones on the score, to Bustling Street, which is one of the happiest... <laughs> 
pieces on the score. This one reminds me of other RPG series such as Dragon Quest. I think sometimes there can be this kind of cliche, happy town or happy street theme, and that's the case with this one. Bustling Street from Landstalker. Here we go. You guys are listening to Bustling Street, which is a very bustling, shimmering piece of music. It's so delightful. This is composed by Motowaki Takenochi from Landstalker, and I love everything about this track. It's it's on the nose. We've heard a lot of pieces like this. It's this really happy march. I love the instrumentation. I love when he uses these PSG-esque leads. It's not a PSG. That is the FM chip there, but it's these soft, very pure timbres. Uh, that tie everything together. The brass instruments are really classic on the score. Yeah, it's just a really full production, (laughs) quote-unquote, on the Genesis, but a wonderful composition with so many different shimmering parts coming in and out. This is a treat. The other thing that's so amazing is I I love pieces of music like this that are just so incredibly confident. This is a track that has something very specific to say, and it says it with no apologies. Yeah. Uh, And yes, it's not always the most original in the sense that some of these chord progressions and these type of melodic shapes and even the idea of a sort of happy town theme in the style it's not like it's nothing we've heard before but that said i don't know i do think one of the contexts of a of a town theme is something a little more pastoral and sweet mm-hmm. and what i love about this track is it goes for more of a high energy kind of march john philip sousa-esque approach yeah particularly all those little ornamentations that make me think of some sort of like flute or piccolo obligato um and, but it really characterizes that's where the bustling quality of this but what i also adore is that that b section the yada da 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 that's where we that's get so well the composed. sort of yeah that more beautiful heartfelt feeling of home that's where it turns into more of the um conventional pastoral kind of town theme but the way that he reconciles all these things because what this means is that this is a piece of music that incorporates aspects of classical music particularly when you get to that sort of circle of facing that series of you know tonicizations as it goes down it's like oh that feels very classical and the main progression feels sort of like like we said kind of like an american march style early 20th century 
um, maybe late 19th century. But what's so cool is then that B section really has elements of jazz and jazz yeah. harmony. And this is something we've it's talked a really about cool before. combination. And it's a great uh, showcase of Takanochi because even when he's doing something that is uh, maybe a stereotype, he injects just a little bit of his fresh spice into it. Now, I love moving on to this one. This one's also classical. It's called Prayers to God, and so it's a little bit more churchy, as you might expect, and there must be some sort of spiritual element to the story of this game, because a lot of the titles are like, you know, something, there's one that's the Death God's Invitation, Wicked God's Banquet, but this is Prayers to God. It's it's a really well-done composition from Landstalker. Here we go. You guys listening to Prayers to God, a really charming piece of music. One of the things that makes me chuckle about it, this is clearly trying to be a church organ. You know, Takenuchi's getting as close as he can on a Yamaha FM chip to to a church organ sound. Did a good job of it, but it's funny that he put vibrato on it. (laughs) That's not something that you can get on a church organ, but it works. It's super charming. Uh, It's it's really good composition. Yeah, this is another example of Takenuchi's style where he takes... You know, a, a pre-existing style of music that he um, is very knowledgeable and fluent in, um, but every once in a while he'll just inject something maybe unexpected or something that makes you know that you're listening to, you know, a 90s video game score. So good. Yeah, there's a lot to love about this. Particularly, I really appreciate at the end of the form, he has this big rallentando. Yeah, it slows so down effective. and you have this sort of very typical... Um, organ idiomatic sort of ending everything slows Mm -hmm. down you have this ornamented suspension and resolution but rather than end it resolves back to the top of the loop now the downside to this is because you make such a moment out of that you know he really makes a meal out of that the listener is likely going to notice that every time it comes Mm -hmm. around so my suspicion is that this is actually for this is a piece of music that you probably you probably won't hear hear that moment more than tons of times yeah Yeah, I agree because if this were background music for a stage that's the kind of thing that would make the music sort of grating and annoying but it's so useful in a more narrative context because you really get the feeling of like a piece of music that has a dynamic shape to it what I'm so impressed with here is much like the bustling street track the way that Takanuchi 
um, is inspired by and does a great job of giving enough kind of thought to the the classical approach, whether it's all of these suspensions and resolutions and everything, and being in a somewhat idiomatic style for the organ, yet I do feel like some of these chords he's choosing, the melodies, the overall vibe, it, there's something about it too that still feels video gamey. It still yeah. feels like that kind of jazz pop style as well. It's It's very subtle in this track. It's not overt, but this doesn't... There's no way I would hear this and think that this is an actual, you know, composition for the pipe organ from like the 1600s. It doesn't, it's not a hundred percent in that style, it has which its I toe think is good. Water. It makes it feel like it's all part of this one soundtrack. Well, and this also is the Landstalker is, version of organ music. Although it's, it's eclectic and has a lot of different musical genres that it explores, it's very cohesive. Uh, right. And we're going to hear that moving from, you know, bustling prayers to this, uh, all very cohesive. And we're moving on to this week's track of the week. And it's very early in the episode. This is the overworld theme, and it's a pretty unique overworld theme. It's very exciting and heroic and rousing, like a lot of overworld themes are. But I think it's maybe a little bit darker than some people might expect. It's really a great composition. It's Seeking Treasure. Here we go. guys listening to a phenomenal piece of music really one of the best 16-bit composers of all time seeking treasure by takenochi from land stalker is the overworld theme and boy does this take you on a journey it's a little bit longer than you would expect from the 16-bit era feels longer because of how many different sections there are and how expressive and contrasting those sections are it's super exciting it's this really driving march that really makes you feel like you're just being propelled like i feel like i need to get up and walk almost robotically to this um it's just such a great composition very very exciting some of those later sections remind me more of shining force like you could put that in the shining force series but right holy moly great yeah this is so outstanding oh my gosh those instruments uh, I mean, dude the panning i love the kind of um the the harmonic scheme of this the the way it 
the way it develops i mean this isn't a this isn't a piece of music that has like a simple 32 bar song form it's no. not just you know a b a it it really it's more like a cue or like a series of cues or something <laughs> Yeah, it's like the way all these different ideas kind of percolate together. There's a lot of call and response, and he's taking use of some of the, you know, primitive, but the capabilities of the Genesis with the panning. And, and, and so you know, it's like, I would say that it's one of the most imaginative Genesis tracks ever. I mean, it just really gets your imagination going and, and gets these emotions firing that, again, we don't typically hear on the system. Yeah, and, and it's another example of being a midway point between classical jazz and sort of a more film music or game music style. Um, yeah, I, I so adore. And I mean, we've talked about this before on our shining force episode, um, that sort of hearing this more faithful orchestral style on the Genesis is such a rarity. So Mm -hmm. it's impressive for that alone. But I also think, kind of talking about that obscures a little bit of just how great this writing is on its, its own. so like Purely in and of itself, this is just excellent composing. Such a timeless piece. Yeah. yeah. Um, so so there's a lot of wild and bold music that Takenochi composed for this score. Let's move on to one such track. This is pretty crazy. Uh, sometimes it feels like kind of silly too, maybe just at least to me. So let's take a listen to this one and uh, buckle up for Wicked God's Banquet. are listening to wicked gods banquet not a lot of 16-bit music like this we've never really played anything quite like this before oh man it's it's so out there yeah it's kind of will was saying it's kind of a mix between prog rock and film music it's it's really bold so imaginative i love the in, the contrasting instruments uh the use of pitch bend i mean this is not a typical genesis track i mean i guess it reminds me a little bit more of some stuff that that was done on the super nintendo but yeah this is just such a rare treat this soundtrack yeah it's somehow it does feel reminiscent of prog rock with the meter stuff and also sort of the bluesiness right and the sound of those kind of power chord dissonances uh also that sort of pitch fluctuation feels very almost like guitar music yeah exactly kind of bending the string quality to it yet i also feel like 
this piece has that very specific kind of mallet percussion ostinato driven quality which makes me think of minimalist composers like Steve Reich and, and some of the chord Philip progressions feel filmic too yeah, yeah it's very a filmic. really cool mix yeah I'm so excited to get to some of the weirder music from the score because it's unlike anything on the system and really unlike most stuff we've ever played on the podcast there's some tracks on this playlist that are just so incredibly unique and i'm just really excited to get to them and it's cool that you know he has a, a track like seeking treasure that is so strong um and just a lot more you know classical traditional melodic whatever you want to say and then tracks like this that are he just goes hard in so many different directions well, i think one way of looking at musical composition is that it's sort of a science of organizing sounds and i think you can really tell a a a really strong composer or a composer with a lot of skill and craft they're able to have a lot of different musical ideas happening simultaneously and it always feels organized. It feels like there aren't any unintentional dissonances. There aren't any unintentional rhythmic clashes. Everything works together. And that I think there's a feeling of awe that comes from, just as a listener, there's a feeling of awe from experiencing a really busy and full piece of music that mm-hmm. that seems kind of complicated like you can't track all the elements at one point yet none of them it never feels messy or sloppy or muddy and that's something that's just very hard to do i think most yeah, composers I, I agree. uh the smart option is to just not try to overcomplicate things in a musical composition. But Takanochi is clearly a very experienced composer and a really strong composer because he's able to He's so um, knowledgeable too of so many different aspects. genres and being able to meld them. So we're gonna move on to another classical piece. It's very royal, very pretty and relaxing. This is the Marquis Invitation. You guys listening to the Marquis Invitation. One of the things that I love about Takanochi's music on the Genesis, when he's going for exciting quasi-classical, quasi-filmic music, is he's trying to emulate the effect of an orchestra as far as different timbres, different instruments that are passing things around. He has one ship, you know, to use, but what he'll do is he'll have a short, plucky instrument, and then maybe hard panned over here, he'll have a really soft, long instrument. And it's just great contrast that is a similar experience when you listen to a large ensemble 
you know, where different families are passing the music around. Right. Uh, so yeah, that's one of the things that needs to be praised about his Genesis music is just how he gets it to feel so full and so exciting just sound-wise. Yeah, I mean, I think his use of chromaticism here is so tasteful. And this is a piece that it is a classical pastiche. And I, I th- a lot of that is achieved by the way that the chromaticism is approached and resolved. It's all functional. Like you can analyze the baseline in terms of right. inversions of, you know, secondary dominance or modal borrowing or whatever. There's a classical explanation for all of it. Yet again, it's just like all the other things we've talked about. It's not breaking any rules per se of the classical music that it's emulating, but it also doesn't sound like it's a simple um, kind of facsimile of that music. It has the spirit of sort of 80s, 90s um, well, songwriting. I mean, every, like, it's every like track Alan we've heard is super something. catchy. <laughs> that needs to be said, too. And that's the case with Takenochi's music. But I think melodically, too, it has this directness and this 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 feeling of melancholy and sweetness that mm-hmm. is a little Disney or musical theater, whether it's like an Andrew Lloyd Webber. Well, you know, Will, that's so funny you say that because I think you're going to have those same thoughts with the next track we're going to play. It's very sweet. Now, in addition to some of those things you just said, I think you might also hear some Zelda and some Koji Kondo similarities or maybe inspiration to this next track, which makes sense because it's called A Ballad for Princess Loria. <laughs> So it's a really beautiful, soft piece of music. It's a nice change of pace on this episode. Let's take a listen. Gorgeous. You guys are listening to A Ballad for Princess Loria, composed by the one and only Takenochi. This is from Landstalker. It's so amazing. There is no Genesis track that comes close to this in terms of quality and specific emotion. This is so much more reminiscent of SNES music, uh, really sensitive ballads, you know, for a princess or some sort of love theme. There's nothing like this on the system. It's such a treat. Yeah, you could literally take every single note of this and just transcribe it for piano. It'd be perfect. Yeah, it's like... And yeah, you know, what's interesting here piece is of kind of like jazz ballad music. He did the best he possibly could with this Yamaha chip. Um, it's kind of a mix between is it a harp, is it a piano? It doesn't. You don't really know what it is, but it has the right decay, the right attack, 
It's just amazing he was able to achieve this on the Genesis. Incredible piece of music. Also, I recommend for anyone who uh, re-listens to this piece of music, notice the bass writing. Notice yeah. the smooth voice lading between all of the parts. Um, oftentimes the bass is voicing a chord that presents an inversion of the harmony it's playing a note in the chord rather that's an inversion that isn't just root position so for instance there's some maybe more there'll spice be... in this track than i think i first expected when i heard it for the first time it's spicy it's spicy but it's it's a spice that i think is kind of familiar it's, it's a very feel much good in spice. a style <laughs> yeah it's 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 jazz spice it's yeah, kind yeah. of like torch song 1930s i mean honestly it's a similar a harmonic sound to so much of the like Christmas music that I think a lot of us have probably been uh, hearing and experiencing. Yeah. And the other thing I notice is the bass line starts to get more personality, not just with the notes it's playing, but also the rhythm. His bass lines are so tasteful and the chunky. Like there's so much good meat <laughs> and just like, Ooh, delicious qualities in his bass writing. Uh, so I'm really excited for this one, Will. I'm excited to show you this and to talk about it. It's called The the Death God's Invitation. And this is not typical of this era. This is much more reminiscent of, you know, the PS1 era or even later. It's creepy, kind of ominous, dungeony background music. And it just blows my mind he was able to get such an atmospheric piece like this on the Genesis. Let's take a listen to The Death God's Invitation. You guys are listening to the Death God's Invitation. Incredibly atmospheric and creepy, unlike anything else on the system. There's no doubt in my mind that, in my opinion, Takenouchi is the best Genesis implementer. His music sounds incredible on the system. I mean, it's so full, so contrasting and exciting. Yeah, I mean, he's just an absolute master on this chip. Yeah, particularly those great little kind of arpeggio delay phrases. Yeah, and there's the dynamics, so subtle. You know, when he uses the hard panning, when it's down the center, it's so surprising. All of those choices are just so careful and just so crafted Mm -hmm. and fine-tuned. And and I really wanted to to talk about some of that stuff on this track because um, I think that's a huge part of why this track works. Like, the notes are effective, you know, it's all effective, but, like, getting it to sound not awful on the genesis Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's really hard 
Well, yeah, the appeal of this piece of music isn't in the melody. It isn't in the groove. It isn't in the timbres, really. It's in the atmosphere. In the presentation. And the atmosphere is created by all of these different elements, but it's created by the harmonies mixed with the particular phrases and how they're implemented. And that requires a very subtle approach. That's the kind of thing that tends to work better with real instruments or at the very least kind of like samples. Um, but Absolutely. to accomplish this with this sort of uh, very limited hardware synth is incredibly impressive and shows an attention to detail compositionally on sort of the craft side of exactly what notes he's choosing, what rhythms, but on the implementation side. Well, I mean, and then another thing that you're is great sounds. a sign of a, a composer that I cherish is when a composer makes music that typically is in a style that I don't enjoy, but I still enjoy it from them. Like this kind of really ominous, creepy dungeon-y kind of music. It's not, it's something that a lot of times I will skip in a different score. Or, I, or if I don't skip it, I just kind of listen to it a little bit and it doesn't do much for me. I don't enjoy this kind of music very often. But with Takanochi, there's just some of the little touches that he does makes me enjoy it. And so that's also a sign of, well, of, yeah, there's uh, a, of a great composer. There's a nuance. There's an attention to detail. Uh, yeah. And yeah, there's a, there's a level of subtlety that isn't always there. I, I particularly love the way he uses the whole tone skill. Yeah, da, 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 da. That, that Very sort dreamy. of sound. Creepy. Um, yeah, it's dreamy, mysterious, but potentially unsettling because it doesn't have. It, it's it's sort of an atonal scale. It doesn't have. It's a, like infinity. A it just keeps going and going. Yeah. Let's do another classical send up, and it'll be fun for Will to talk about uh, maybe some of the the form inspiration on this one. It's the King's Chamber. <laughs> guys listening to the king's chamber and man does takanochi have chops feels like he has a big bag of tricks and tools that he's learned and he's choosing different ones and mixing and matching different ones will what is your impression of this track maybe talk a little bit about uh some of the classical tropes or techniques that he's using well this is 
a piece of music that features a counterpoint. And it, I think that's what makes it feel sort of... This is like halfway between like the Baroque or the like Gallant style, the mm-hmm. kind of early classical. Um, and he's definitely trying to go for that. It's not quite a fugue, but the idea of imitation. That fugue like one line is moving, the other line is more stable. And then when that line stops moving, the other one picks it up. But this is all happening very fast. Um, and so there's all this. This is exactly what I was talking about before about kind of sophisticated or scientific ways to organize busyness to yeah and it's just such sound. intentional writing like this stuff doesn't happen by accident this is stuff that no, is not really intentional and like you said almost like scientific and again i have to compliment takanochi of he found a way to make this his own where mm-hmm. it's like the 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 quality of the counterpoint is exceptional and it definitely comes from an understanding of classical music for the most part again the harmonic progressions they're not breaking any rules they're just so many of them would not be common in that era it's not that you couldn't do it it just it's it's chord motion that tends to be more common in like 20th century american songwriting um, and that's what I think is so cool. And that's, I think, the key to unifying this whole score. It's like all these different classical approaches, but what makes it still sound like Japanese video game music is that it has this subtle undercurrent of like a jazz sensibility, a subtle undercurrent of a pop well, sensibility. And, and here's another thing that's so important is there are tracks like we're going to move to that are a lot more quote unquote modern or of the time. I mean, the next track feels like an eighties or a nineties film piece mixed with like pop rock um, because we bring the drum kit back. And so when you're going to have, you know, that much contrast, you know, going from hundreds and hundreds of years in music history, you do have to have something that ties it all together. And I think Takanochi does a wonderful job of that. So I'm really excited to move on to this next track. It's one of the strongest in the whole score. It's up there as a possible track of the week contender. It's maybe my second or third favorite. It's just so exciting. This is Treasure Hunter Nigel. You guys are listening to Treasure Hunter Nigel and Takanochi loves prog rock. He loves film music, exciting film music. He's combining some of that together in this track. It's also just incredibly catchy and feel good. I love this piece. It's just it's so catchy. It's it's probably if I was going to show someone like a couple tracks 
from Landstalker, I'd probably show them Seeking Treasure, this, and maybe Bustling Street, um, maybe some of the, the hit singles, <laughs> if you will, from Landstalker. But yeah, Will, talk about maybe some of the influences, some of the potential influences that align on this track. It's so interesting because when I hear this, so many of the harmonic things happening um, just bring to mind that there are so many pieces of music in completely different styles that have a lot of similarity to this harmonically. Mm -hmm. And it makes me realize that I think the second half of the 20th century in multiple places simultaneously, some of the same experiments with harmony were taking place. For instance, I think like with a lot of, you know, Motown, funk, and eventually like fusion music, the exploration of sort of slash chord or sus chord harmony mm -hmm. um, in modulating, using chords from different keys, but with that sort of approach. To bring a new level very of characteristic. Color. Yet in the world of like classical composition, a lot of minimalist composers were doing kind of the same thing. Mm -hmm. um, and I also think... Also, like you mentioned, you know, film music, I think pop music, there's so many different styles where for whatever reason, it seemed like from the 70s to the 90s, there's a particular style of harmonization. And I'm not so much talking about the A section of this piece. That's a little bit more standard with this descending bass line. Very but it does poppy, have, catchy, kind of heroic. Yeah, we have to talk about, it's just a knockout melody. Such a yeah. exciting, timeless melody on that A section. Right. It's so strong. But then when we get to that B section where everything feels a little bit more dreamy and wandering and um, the the harmonies there uh, are are so juicy and incredible. And what's great about using that kind of brand of harmony, I mean, it's something that I know you love to do, Carl. I mean, I think it's something that was so great about like the Downforce album. It, it seemed like it was almost like a treatise on slash chords. Right. And using these really interesting progressions. And for anyone who doesn't know, a slash chord is essentially when you take one type of chord or a triad and have an unrelated chord or note in the bass so it would be right. like you know c major over d so it'd be a c major triad with a d in it the basically bass. gives you a new color or an additional level of color that is not possible yeah. if you don't do and that. there are there are different kinds of slash chords. You know, you can, I think that one I just described where you have a triad with a bass note that's a whole step above the perceived tonic of that triad. That's a very sort of uplifting, dreamy kind of sound. But you can have a completely different sound if you had like C major over B flat. Right. Um, which kind they, of the they all have yeah. different moods and, and feelings. But I think something that I really associate the kind of exploration and use of those triads and those kind of slash chords with the second half of the 20th century, minimalist music, jazz fusion, funk, Motown. That's just, for whatever reason, that well, was really I, in the I ether. love that Takanochi is so seamlessly able to pull from so many different genres and influences into one piece of music. Um, this is a change of pace here, folks. We're going to move to a track called Deserted Street Corner, and it's really one of the saddest on the playlist. Let's take a listen. <laughs> Thank you. 
you guys are listening to Deserted Street Corner, another track that uses liberal tempo changes to add a lot of expression. And that's another effect that, again, it's not that common on the Genesis. We hear it occasionally, but I would not say it's it's super common. And yeah, he's kind of playing with his own rules on, on the system. It's a really strong piece of music. Another great example of his instrument choice, contrasting tones. You have something soft mixed with something plucky. So good. Yeah, and again, one of the things that makes this piece feel classical is his harmonic moves. I mean, I keep talking about harmony today, but he's really, he's mastered so many of these techniques. And part of this doesn't just have to do, I think sometimes when people think of you know, a harmonic language or chords. They think of it in maybe a guitar way or in a a simple pianist's way of just playing close position, root position triads. Right. Uh, But the way that, I mean, the key to good harmonic writing is voice leading, which essentially means the smoothest way to transition from one chord to another. And oftentimes voice leading is superordinate to the chord itself. So a lot of times composers will choose the chord to go to next based on what is most elegant for the voice leading. So without understanding that concept, the, the harmonies might not make sense. And there's a wonderful moment in this piece that uses that sort of classical circle of fifths progression with its chromatic downward. God, I just absolutely love the score. It's a gift that yeah, keeps on an- giving. Another thing that I wanted to talk about is just the, um, I guess, arrangement and implementation. I want to say production because it, it really feels so yeah. produced. For instance, the, the lead instrument, which is also used for the kind of alto harmony underneath, mm-hmm. It has this quality, maybe just the way that kind of the the attack which it sort of has the knobs, soft attack. Yeah, which knobs have soft attack and which and don't. it also has cut off so much of the top end that it ends up feeling very distant and kind of reverberant. It feels like this it feels is like a, there's an effect on it. It's so yeah, cool. it's a lonely sound from way in the back of the hall or far off in just the distance. Absolutely perfect for this track. And it's, it's, it really contrasts with that sort of eight bit PSG that's doing more of the keyboard line and it's again it's one of those timbral mixtures you would never get this outside of video game music because no one would consciously choose such a simple square wave right. to accompany a sound like this but it's one of those things that was forced upon the composer by constraint and the inventive way in which he found a, a way to compose a piece of music like this and presented in a way that is in my opinion as pleasant as is possible on this hardware and then just the idea is is presented a hundred percent on the genesis which sometimes is not the case it's so impressive let's move on folks the next track we have today is pink book
You guys are listening to Pink Book. It's kind of like this world music meets blues music. This is a track that to me is a little, little bit more reminiscent of SNES music. Will, is there any score or composer that this reminds you of? It, it does not remind me of Genesis music. Uh, but wh- what does this make you think of? Yeah, I have to scratch my mind. I mean, it's it is it's, it's so, so its unique. own thing. <laughs> I just can't think I've I've heard of anything. I mean, I've heard this kind right? of groove before. The bass line, yeah. the bluesiness, but the mixture just of the choice it's like, of having the pitch bend be such a strong part of the melody and eventually be like earned. Like at first it's like, "Oh, this is kind of right. silly." But then you're like, it's very oh, it's much actually a, really cool." It's very much sort of like a sexy saxophone melody. Yet yeah. the groove is very particular, and the arpeggios that are constantly every chord is like a suspended chord. Well, also, you know, talking about the quote production, like the the toms, the tom tom drums that are panned so specifically, left center right, left right center. Like it just it feels like this is like a three sixty piece of music. It's just really expressive right. and imaginative. I also think. The other thing, really, to me, one of the central hooks and appeals of this piece of music is the groove. It's very oh, lopsided, yeah. yep, because it's it's in four, but it it I would describe this as being in like eight eight, um, mm-hmm. because it kind of feels like six eight with an extra two beats. So right, one, there's so two, much space three, four, at the five, top six, of it. Yeah. One, two, one, two, three, four, five, six, one, two, one, two, three. That's kind of how the groove it's feels. Super catchy. I love that that feeling. Yeah, and Takanochi like, also, you know, we we need to remember that he is one of the grooviest composers too. I mean, some of his music is just incredibly funky. And in addition to to liking prog music, he clearly likes jazz and funk music too. And it's it's cool in a track like this where he combines I mean yeah it's it's pretty wild it's like there's a kind of an ethnic world music connotation I get with the melody and some of the instrument choices but then it's like definitely straight up blues you know 1 to 4 using even the blues scale at times right and the sort of pitch bends and everything it, it yeah That's it a is good this one. great sort of midway midway point all right, let's move on to a pretty exciting track, and I don't never play this game, so we can speculate on the use of that. <laughs> uh, it's Adventure Spirit. Holy moly, that is great. It's short and sweet and amazing. It reminds me of some of his Shining stuff. Oh, it's so good. I mean, just phenomenal writing, phenomenal implementation on the Genesis. It's twinkly. It's so incredibly exciting. And, and this is a great example. You know, he's really combining a lot of genres that he loves. Um, right. It's, it's filmic. It's exciting. It's rocking, too, and in progressive. Just outstanding music. Yeah, very outstanding. Uh, the his use of imitation, I think here, is something that's very much worth studying for. Yeah. Uh, I think any composers, it's like that's one of the easiest ways to get some counterpoint, some movement into a piece of music because oftentimes melodies, without even intention, they'll have moments of movement and moments of pause. So here you have yeah. bum, ba, na, na, na. 
and mm-hmm. while it's holding, then you have ba ba da 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 bum ba da 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 bum ba da da da. They they complete each other's sentences so well, naturally. Another thing, you know, some of you might not know this, but in order to get this expressive and what feels like a performed drum perf- part is so difficult on this system. You know, what you have to think about is I'm pretty sure he's cycling between different snare samples that each have a set dynamic because you can't change the dynamic of the DAC. You can't. So if you want to have you have to have different samples that you're really specifically switching between. And so it's such a thoughtful and handcrafted approach and it just you don't even notice that it just it feels like you're hearing this this marching snare drum player that's a great it's just point. so good the other thing um that takanochi does here is by taking advantage of the fact that this is all sequenced music it's all right. digital and it's going to be played back in exactly the same way every mm-hmm. single time uh one advantage to that is you can write really technical rhythmic syncopated stuff that would be challenging really hard music to perform, that yeah. yeah musicians would struggle and they'd probably flam on a lot of those syncopations <laughs> but hearing that kind of thing so locked in together it has an interesting effect first of all it's so cool and it affects you i think on a gut level but also it it ironically makes the music feel more human because it's the kind of thing that tends to only be done in at least at this point in time music performed by real musicians right that are going for that kind of uh very progressive i mean don't get me wrong is as confident and wonderful as this sounds as genesis music i would love to hear real performed versions of this stuff. yeah it'd be wild of, it'd be hard one of my favorite aspects of this is because you know you, it's basically between those more open sections where it's these two minor chords, the minor third relation thing, kind of the Darth Vader harmony, except a little bit jazzier because one of those chords is a minor seventh. But then Mm -hmm. it always, it's so it's between that more open kind of uh, villainous phrase and then the stuff that kind of the or the and then my favorite moment I think of the whole thing is right before the end of the loop when it's this, we launch into this surprising sort of new key and it's these like suspended chords but the it's bass so is doing all this active jumping between yeah, all of the, the last chord thing tones. is it's 20 seconds it's a 20 second loop and how much different information and like how much of a journey he takes you on is maybe the most <laughs> impressive of any 20 second yeah, i mean piece. i think in terms of bang for your buck this i think is the best piece on the soundtrack because yeah, in 20 wild. seconds when you think of everything that's accomplished it's just masterful. He doesn't waste any time. Let's move on to another exciting and experimental track. It's Urgent Nigel.
God, I just love Takenochi so much. This music is just badass. I'm sorry, it is. I love the instrument doubling on this track. That's one thing that really stood out to me, is the lead instrument has a little bit less attack, but it's doubled with almost an identical instrument where the attack is turned up softly and panned hard to the left and delayed. And that combination is so interesting and appealing, and it's just one of those things that you can really enjoy and listen out for. In addition, you know, on top of the great composition and the other musical things happening, there's there's a lot to listen for in this track. It could loop 10 times, and I would still be finding exciting things to, you know, to listen for and enjoy. Yeah, there's a lot to love about this. The, I think the main takeaway that I have from this piece of music is the just blending of contrasting elements. It's a piece that when it starts, it's so frenetic and active. Um, and with these kind of, you know, less than ideal chip sounds, basically. And so it's a, a high energy frenetic piece that um, is, is very specific, yet when the groove and melody happen on top of it, they have this completely honestly opposite energy it's groovy it's laid back it's not anxious at all it's got nowhere to go and by putting these right. two elements together you have first of all it creates so much feeling of like syncopation um because you have all this and then you have and yeah, that's something that needs to be back mentioned is Takanochi's use of syncopation is one of the things that kind of sets him apart from a lot of other composers is like how he uses it, when he uses it. He gets so much excitement. And that's that is something that if you're gonna have a 30 second loop, there's something about having a lot of syncopation. It's it's just one of those elements, right? That makes you want right. to listen again and again. Well, and the other thing that this piece of music makes me think of is it the the repeated nature of the rhythmic structure makes me think of minimalist music to some degree, mm -hmm. but it I'm also, sure he likes some of those composers. I think because it's, it's modular in a sense that both rhythmically and harmonically, it feels like there are different layers. So it's kind of like there's the big picture chord progression, which is basically one to five. But there's the moment by moment chord progression, which is sort of this Dorian thing. Yum bum 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 and then bum 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 But if you just take the big picture like what the bass is doing, yeah, it's a lot simpler than that. And that feeling of rhythms within rhythms, chords within chords. You know what I'm saying? It's kind of like you can look at this piece of music on the level of the accompaniment, which is very anxious and kind of high energy, or you can look at it on the level of the melody which is super laid back and kind of yeah um chilled out and i love well, that I'm, it has that contrast i for some weird reason i've been looking forward to this track all day it's unlike a lot of tracks we get to play on the podcast it's super weird one of the weirdest tracks on the playlist one of the maybe least melodic but i really am impressed that he was able to pull it off on the genesis and some of the crazy instruments that he concocted <laughs> Uh, on this Yamaha chip. Really interesting stuff. Let's take a listen to Labyrinth.
holy moly, Takenochi is really playing with his own rulebook. This is Labyrinth. So much to discuss on this one. I mean, you could spend the whole episode. It's crazy. I love that instrument, that... And it, it's like a combination of two different instruments. And it's like it uses even the noise channel as like decay and even like delay effect. Yeah. It's really cool. Love that part. Love the just the really exciting buildup that happens. And then there's a later section that is bluesy. Again, he's like using like a blues progression, even the blues scale with a lot of really dissonant and wild musical choices. It, it's just there's so many different things that are explored in this track but it's all great. The thing that always impresses me about Takanochi is no matter how far he's willing to venture, I kind of think of it like, um, you know, someone going out into space, but they have a really stable cord that's connecting them to the ship. Yeah, he's tethered to reality. Or someone that's scuba diving. Yeah, they have it. He's always tethered by something. And in, you know, we talked about in that other track that it was that pedal bass tone. But in this track, I feel like what grounds some of these odder, disparate musical phrases is the simple... Yep, it comes back to that. At the beginning, mm-hmm. it's like, it, that puts you at ease. That repetition, that the stable space groove that that lets you know has. that, like, you know, don't worry. Yep. This is going to pay off. This will well, feel here's satisfying. The thing. It's going to pay off and be satisfying, but it's also logical. Like, don't worry, I yes. haven't lost my mind. I'm not going right. crazy. I know what I'm doing here. <laughs> Right. And it so also good. that allows for these moments of surprise when the piece opens up and gets even more experimental from a certain standpoint. Um, it, it's it's a great balance because for that first section, it's very sparse. You have all these little punctuated. Like it feels sort of random. And then it opens up to everything kind of, you know, this full 2D, everyone playing at once kind of sound but that's kind of the emotional climax or the payoff and the chords there are so freaking rich and sophisticated it kind of reminds so me of jake kaufman shovel knight with some of these whole tone sounds and then you get these chords in he's got fourths. chops man yeah man well, his guys harmonic the end of this score is super super wild and we're so we're going to keep similar vibes going here and this is mysterious island <laughs> guys are listening to mysterious island which is actually one of my favorites on the score that freaking bass 
Takanochi is one of the all-time VGM bass masters, for sure. This is a really surprisingly beautiful track. Yes, it's mysterious. It's called Mysterious Island. It, there's a creepiness to it, those kind of twinkling arpeggios and the consistency of it all, but really beautiful chord changes, and the bass is funky. I think Takanochi has the perfect balance to me between... Uh, satisfying inevitability and surprise. His music is I agree. consistently surprising, but it never feels like shock value. It well, never you know feels what else will? Random. He feels like a great value composer. <laughs> You're gonna pay him to to you know give you a one minute and ten second loop. You're gonna get so much content in that time. You're probably gonna get a lot of different emotions. You're gonna be exploring different elements, different eras of music history. Soft stuff, loud stuff, creepy stuff, exciting stuff. I mean, yeah, just a lot of bang for your buck. Well, you brought up the the bass writing here, which I I wanted to circle back around to that because I think the to slides. some listeners they might go, what what bass writing? This just seems I, I didn't even notice the bass because oftentimes it gets when we high mention sometimes. the bass, oftentimes when we mention the bass though, it's because it's really high energy and it's active you know i think of like a jake kaufman this one feels like a solo fretless bass but what's great about it is the subtlety this is just enough it's just enough to give that baseline personality there's just a few moments when it moves independently from the other chords and that allows it to be its own character so to speak or more accurately kind of like its own player and he adds these little details to give it personality but to me what he's created is a very tasteful bassist a bassist who's not trying to show off who's not trying to take away from mm-hmm. the music, who's doing his role. He's playing root notes when he needs to play root notes, and he's not overly flashy. But there's... but it's also very expressive and like yeah. sometimes gets to notes in, in a really interesting way. There's even like yeah. bass vibrato at a certain time on this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so good. But it's so t- it's subtle. It's not, it's like, I don't know. That's what impresses me the most is if it was a flashy baseline we've heard that a lot and sometimes that comes from you know you only have so many channels so every line needs to be active to spell out the harmony or right. you know oftentimes you hear kind of a copy and paste baseline where it's only moving on quarter notes or it's only whole notes or it's just kind of whenever the chords change the bass change but this one doesn't have such a predictable pattern it's mostly that but it's like it has these little details well he really earns those flashier moments in his music in general i would say um guys i want you to really stick around for this play uh, the play out we're almost there i just wanted to mention it because the play out is so beautiful i think it's the staff role theme if i'm not mistaken it's called to the great adventurers and it and it brings back melodies we've heard such as a ballad for princess loria so anyway definitely stick around for that it's a really one of the strongest tracks before we do that the last track of the day it, to me feels like a final boss theme it's pretty out there it's divine guardian of the maze
You guys are listening to Divine Guardian of the Maze. Wow, incredibly exciting. Brass harmonies, really surprising rhythms. This score is amazing, and I'm embarrassed that it's taken us this long to spotlight on it, but also it's such a fitting time to do so. Classic, amazing video game music. Also very bold, and music that's on its own. There's really no other score quite like it, is there? Yeah, I think it's incredibly unique. I... Yeah, I've just been so impressed uh, by this episode today. I mean, Takanochi's writing is so deliberate, is so thoughtful. Uh, it's it, it really reminds me and reinvigorates the spirit of why we started this podcast. That for sure, you know, so much video game music is a lot cleverer, is a lot more thoughtful, is a lot more than emotional we either and remember or than, realize. <laughs> yeah, sometimes it's then we give remember. It credit for. I mean, I think. It's safe to say a lot of people now appreciate video game music and have nostalgia for it, or they think the music is good in a general sense, like it's catchy or memorable. Right. But so much video game music is far exceeds that descriptor as well. A lot of it is incredibly intelligent, is rooted well, this in music historical is, styles and crafts. It's just as artful and unique and expressive as any great music, any film score, any classical piece. It just is so incredible, and it's a testament to Takanochi's skill. I don't know what he's currently doing. Uh, I get the sense that he moved away from the video game music world. Um, but if anyone knows, I, I want to say that I remember like other kind of one-off solo albums maybe that he put out not too long ago. But if anyone else knows what, what this composer is up to, I love his music so much. We're going to play you guys out with To the Great Adventurers, which is a perfect send-off for this episode. I had a great time. Will, did you have a good time today? I had a wonderful time. Guys, next week we have a follow-up to a really unique episode, a very popular uh, episode that we did uh, a bit, no, not too long ago. So so look forward to a unique follow-up episode next week. And, you know, uh, to anybody who celebrates Christmas, uh, have a very Merry Christmas indeed and Happy Holidays and good cheer to all of our listeners. To you and yours, indeed. We love all of you guys. Thanks so much for your continued support. We're going to play you out with this track from Landstalker. Thanks so much, Takanochi, for your inspiring music. He is really one of the most inspiring composers for me personally, so I'm so glad we got to do the spotlight. I think that's about it. My name is Carl Brueggemann. And I'm Will Brueggemann. Have a great week, everybody. Peace out. <laughs>